The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery. We're the place where spirituality and recovery meet. We support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And I want to thank all of you that are listening with us today. We're glad that you're out there. And uh, we've got a great show for you again today. So we are looking forward to hearing from you. You can email us during the show, or you can call in, and we'd love to hear your comments or questions. Thanks for letting your friends know about Spirit of Recovery. Thanks for uh spreading the good word and letting people know what uh, Spirit of Recovery means to you. We always have interesting topics down to earth people, and um, we talk about topics that really touch your heart and that give you good ideas about how to deepen your recovery and your spirituality. Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're in recovery or if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member in your own recovery as a family member or you're a family member or friend of somebody that's in recovery or somebody that has the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, or you're simply curious and interested in looking for information about the recovery process, we welcome you. Recovery is a large tent, and we welcome you as a listener, and we welcome your comments and questions and your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister, and I'm trained in addictions counseling. Also, I'm a person who has a circle of love and friendship. Many people that have the disease of addiction, and almost 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development. And ever since that time, my recovery walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And it has brought me a spiritual life that is deep and rich and just keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing and keeps me opening up to new and deeper ways of getting in touch with my own self and with my higher power. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity through the Spirit of Recovery and Unity Online Radio to share these ideas with you about recovery and spirituality And I'm really uh, excited to hear about what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Today our topic is the Recovery Church, Community of Hope, 
and my guest is Reverend Dr. Joe Camp, and he's going to be telling us about what a recovery church is and how that works um, in just a minute. And he's he's had lots of great experiences with that, and it's it's interesting. Um, to, is are, is a twelve is twelve step church an oxymoron? We'll find out. Know that on every Spirit of Recovery show, we have a drawing and we give away a recovery book. And those books are donated to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation, and that's www.hazelden.org. So we uh, want to give a big thank you to Hazelden for donating our books. And also in every book we place a beautiful bookmark, and these are created by the Unity writer and photographer Barbara Bergen. So with your book, uh, if you should be the winner, you also get a beautiful bookmark. Today our book is A Good First Step a first-step workbook for 12-step programs, and the author is Richard Hamel. So you can email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, or you can give us a call at 888-558-UN or 55UNITY during the program, and we'll put your name in the drawing for the book. As I said today, our topic is the Recovery Church, Community of Hope, and my guest is Reverend Dr. Joe Camp. And um, Joe has been a part of the recovery community for over 14 years. And that's a really important part of his life and a part of his ministry. Pastor Camp was born and spent his youth in South Minneapolis. And he is a product of the tumultuous 60s that were filled with demonstrations and social upheaval. He started his career as a high school speech and drama teacher and also as an athletic coach. He was uh, responded to the call to ministry, and he earned, earned a Master's of Divinity, and then he went on to Princeton for his doctorate in divinity. His primary interest in his postgraduate study was the role of the church as it relates to education and the change process of faith. So it's not a surprise at all that he would be involved in what's now called the Recovery Church. Dr. Camp has served United Methodist Churches in Minnesota for many years, and currently he is the pastor of the Recovery Church, also known as Central Park United Methodist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. So welcome, Joe. We're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad you're here. Well, is a 12-step church an oxymoron? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's a... Probably a well-fit description of, of what a church could be, and especially this particular church. How'd you get going? Because this church, this is a, a fairly new church. I don't know how many years have you been going as the recovery church? I was appointed to what was called then Central Park United Methodist Church as a United Methodist pastor uh, about 13 years ago. And when my first attended the first service there, a Sunday service, we had 11 people in attendance. And it was kind of interesting because I had come from uh, one of our largest churches in our denomination in the upper Midwest uh, shortly before that. And uh, so to go from attendance of Sunday about 800 down to 11 was kind of a a little drop. Um, I had been through treatment and had surfaced up, kind of asking the bishop to appoint me to a place where I might go to explore different types of ministry. And I certainly didn't think at that time that we would do anything called Recovery Church. 
because I'm in the 12-step program myself, uh, after we started a small church in downtown St. Paul, uh, more and more people started attending who were following a similar path. And so eventually, some about 12 years ago, a number of us were sitting around at breakfast and someone said, I think we should have a recovery worship service. And we all kind of looked at each other in dumbfounded amazement at, I wonder what that would be. And so I went from there and did some searching on the Internet and found out that there really wasn't such a thing uh, around at that time. There were a few churches that were of more conservative nature that had started some worship services. But we thought we might try something that was unique, and, and uh, so we took out a napkin and we wrote down an order of worship, which was a fairly typical order of worship except for a few key points. And uh, that's what we started with. Uh, started off with one worship service a month, and eventually that grew to be uh, every Sunday, and eventually that grew to be two worship, two worship services a Sunday. And uh, it's just kind of mushroomed since that time on. So we've been doing this about 12 years. We have an active uh, worshiping community of about 600 people. Our average attendance on a Sunday is about 350. And uh, we have two worship services, and we plug along with a spirited group of people either in recovery or in search of recovery. So that's a little history about it, Anna. Yeah, that's interesting. So do I have this right? Is, is When you went there, it was just a regular church, a regular United Methodist church, um, but it sounds like the congregation had really been shrinking. And then is that accurate? That's so it right. wasn't recovery-oriented at all when you went? No, no, it wasn't. In fact, the dear people that were there, uh, those 11 folks, were just holding on to the place to see what their future might hold and probably more than anything to try to have a place where they might be buried from or at least uh, their heart was still there. And uh, I've buried all but one of them. We have one left out of the original 11. But, but quickly the church transformed into uh, people who were not of that ilk, but we're in different uh, recovery programs. We have people in, I think, almost all of the different 12-step uh, programs and people who just find the worship itself meaningful. Right. So you said that you had been in treatment and that you're in, involved, as we know, in a 12-step program. So evidently you had been in ministry some time before you yourself got in recovery. Right. I'm I'm celebrating over 30 years of ministry, so congratulations. Yeah, right. So, and how did that change ministry for you when you got in recovery? Oh, it dramatically changed everything I did. Uh, I realized very quickly that I had to uh, kind of redo my life differently. Um, uh, the place was where I had come from were large churches. I was senior pastor and had large staffs and. Uh, did a number of different things that were I kind of out in front of the community. And what I needed to do was I needed to search inside myself, uh, not only as a person who was an alcoholic, and, but I also had to search inside myself as what, what kind of a pastor did I want to be. And so when we, when we started this uh, new ministry and started working with broken people, it reminded me on a regular basis and still does my brokenness, and my really need for grace on a regular basis. 
I do a number of groups throughout the week at different treatment centers and different places around. And we have St. Paul is kind of a mecca for uh, halfway houses and treatment centers and uh, all sorts of different people and different programs. And uh, so when we lead the different groups or I lead these different groups, I'm always reminded of how close all of us are to having that first next slip that propels us into the downward depths of our disease. Right. I know I'm going to make an assumption here that you know him, uh, a real beacon of recovery, and I know somebody that had a real heart for service, as you're just mentioning that, who just uh, recently passed away is Ernie Larson. Mm-hmm. Knew him very well. He was a part of our community. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about Ernie? I know some people some people may know him, some people may not, but he's sure been around for a long time, and, and I've been touched by the stories he's told about visiting with people um, who were kind of on that edge, maybe on the slippery slope, or who really uh, uh, were needed somebody to reach out to them, as we all do. Um, got any stories about Ernie or about how he participated in the recovery church? Well, sure. I, I, in fact, Ernie and I back over 30 years ago. Uh, I was a rookie pastor, and he was still in the priesthood, and uh, he came to a, uh, something that I was leading, and so we hit it off. He was in a church very, fairly close to mine, and uh, so we knew each other throughout all those years. Um, Ernie did a, a miraculous job of being able to decipher and to articulate uh, key concepts and to learn how to uh, teach those and to lead workshops, different workshops about different topics. And, of course, he was a very prophetic and prolific writer. Uh, but he's known throughout all the world, actually, for his primary workshops and his books. Uh, in our congregation, he was a regular attender. He worshipped just like all the rest of us on a Sunday morning. Uh, he occasionally would lead a few things in our church. We have a number of very well-known people in our in the recovery community, a part of our congregation. And so every once in a while they'll be leading something, uh, either a workshop or a speech. We uh, we also do a monthly collaboration with a couple of different groups, uh, one a very large treatment center uh, located north of the Twin Cities, um, which supports your, your uh, particular show. Yep, that and, would be uh, Hazelden. That would be Hazelden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we also... Uh, team with something called Minnesota Recovery Connection, which is a a community organization supporting recovery and kind of the the key tie between treatment and the recovery community. And they lead a number of different things, teaching different uh, areas of recovery, uh, such as recovery coaches, and and they have a telephone support system for people coming out of treatment. And so... Uh, we have a number of different people, uh, like Ernie and others, that do different activities in the life of the church, and uh, we're forever grateful for all their expertise. Right. What are some of the groups that you visit around town um, yourself? You said that you go out and visit with different groups, and what do you do there? Um, there's there's one uh, one particular group that I do a lot of work with through the Gospel Mission here in town, which is a, a, a group of different types of ministries. The particular ministry that I work with is a tr- treatment center there that's located in downtown St. Paul. 
where chronic alcoholics and drug addicts uh, are given a second chance, or sometimes a third and sometimes a fifth or twentieth chance to try to get their lives together, and I lead a group once a week there. Um, I also have been going to different other treatment centers around town, uh, some on a regular basis, in which I lead small groups and sometimes try to tie the spirituality with the different recovery concepts and deal with some of the steps and some of the different ways in which uh, we can look at how God's active and present in our lives. Yeah, great. You know, you mentioned earlier about how when you got in recovery, it it changed your attitude a bit about understanding how close we all are to needing needing a hand or how close we all how much we all need that sense of grace. What would you say about maybe the spirituality of of a people before we kind of hit a bottom and it doesn't have to be, you know, what we traditionally call recovery, but you know, I think people always hit a bottom one way or the other. We've all had enough of something. But before we hit that, what what's our spirituality like? What's been your experience with that? Well, I think of many people carry uh, kind of a, a kindergarten concept of who God is in their lives, uh, especially those people who have suffered some of the pangs of life along the process. I think that uh, one of the workshops that I lead is Firing Your Old Kindergarten to God. It's a workshop in which we look at some of the, the ideals or the concepts that we have when we're very young, uh, such as, you know, God speaking on clouds and God being a, uh, a white male in a long white beard with a big tablet in the sky. And some of those concepts and theologies that we learned as little kids, and which were fine for little kids to understand things maybe, but eventually as we wandered through life and got older, we, we carried along some of those concepts. And when our lifestyle uh, kind of proves that it's not working, we uh, look back at that and we think to ourselves, well, that's a bunch of malarkey, you know, that's, that's really not the kind of God that I want, but we really don't have a new concept of who God might be. And so once people get into recovery, I think it's important to kind of redefine how God might be active and present in the world and to look at different models of how God is active. And we talk often around here about the triangular way in which God is active and present, uh, kind of like in a triangle of God, self, and others, and kind of the omnipotence of God and the greatness of the world, but also how God works through other people in the 12-step community and other communities, and how God is always available for us as individuals. Joe, so, thanks so much. We've we're, we're got to take a break right now, but we're going to hold that, and we're going to come back and talk about it some more. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back with the Serenity Minute, and then we'll keep talking with Reverend Joe Camp about the Recovery Church Community of Hope. Give us a call at 888-55-UNITY or send us an email at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm with your comments or questions. We'll be right back. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm. 
and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Join Unity on a year-long journey to live your abundant life. Throughout the year, Unity will be providing you with a variety of free online resources to support you in living your abundant life. Knowing that living an abundant life begins with an openness to God, we affirm, I am centered in spirit, eager to discover all I can do and be. I am centered in spirit, eager to discover all I can do and be. Embrace your abundant life now. Go to www.unity.org and click on the Abundant Living Resource Center and tune in each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Time for Sacred Abundance with me, Reverend Robin Ryder, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Even if you're a seasoned spiritual student, Even if you've been on a spiritual journey for a long time, how's your life working? Knowing spiritual principles isn't enough. We have to practice them every day. Join Rev. Ellen Debenport and co-host Laura Shepard on Absolute Living as they talk each week about putting principles into action in every decision we make. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad that you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, our topic is the Recovery Church, Community of Hope, and my guest is Reverend Dr. Joe Camp. And uh, before Joe and I continue our conversation about this really interesting church, a 12-step church and community, join me as we take a moment to center ourselves in peace of mind in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax and with me to focus on this constructive idea and allow yourself to be refreshed by spirit within. And so our thought for today is, I relax in the peace of this moment. I have a higher power who loves me and cares about me. I relax in the peace of this moment. I have a higher power who loves me and cares about me. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now we're back with my guest, Reverend Dr. Joe Camp, and we're talking about the Recovery Church, the Community of Hope. This is a great time to give us a call or an email. Send us your comments or your questions uh, that you have for Joe, and I know he'll have a a response to those. And our phone number is 888-55-UNITY. And our email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And we do get those emails 
uh, during the show. So feel free to send them, and also we'll put your name <coughs> in for the drawing for our book. And our book today, donated by Hazelden Foundation, is A Good First Step, a first step workbook. So, Joe, right before the break, you were talking about a workshop that you do um, called Firing Your Kindergarten God, and you were telling us how uh, you support people there at the Recovery Church in developing a different concept of God or a higher power. Um, Tell us a little bit more about this triangle you were discussing. Well, one of the things we we often talk about is, you know, people carry around old concepts of who God is in their life, and sometimes those don't work. I remember a person... uh, being in a bad accident while she was going through a divorce and she hurt she was hurt badly and people from her old church came and told her that God was punishing her for going through a divorce and she said it was at that moment that I had to fire my old God and that always kind of hit me as some of those moments that happen to us often in recovery the old God of our understanding maybe the kindergarten or the child God sometimes no longer works. And so we carry around this projection often of negativity about the church because we carry around those old concepts of who God is. Rather than looking as an adult and trying to use our heads and thinking things through a little bit differently uh, and looking how God might be more active and alive uh, rather than sitting on a cloud somewhere with lightning bolts. And so... That's kind of the, one of the concepts we uh, often key off on as far as how God is majestic, but also God works and talks through a different way of uh, living in a world, often through what we read or what we hear, uh, and most certainly through people that we, uh, we come in contact with, especially in the different 12-step groups. One of the things that I thought that I, I, I should share with you is that often I talk about the recovery church is not being a regular church, and it's not an AA church, that it's somewhere in between, that we borrow concepts from both. Uh, Our mission statement says we are a spiritual community for people in search of growth and healing and recovery. And we do have a singleness of purpose. Uh, You know, there are a lot of great, great uh, social action issues in the world. One of the things that we've discovered is uh, we're not very good dealing with the hurt and pain of the world if we don't have a spiritual base. And so our primary purpose is to carry that spiritual base, God's love, and to celebrate that love as it relates to the people that surround us. And so we are not a regular church from the standpoint that uh, you know, most of, almost all of our people are in some small group ministry called 12 Steps, uh, but we're also not an AA church in that there are some things that we do that are not of the traditions, and uh, and so we just kind of try to borrow from both. Right. What would it be like? Uh, what What is it like at a typical Sunday service? How's it different than it might be at a, another Methodist church? It's pretty typical from a number of different ways. Um, some of the things that might be a little different are that we have a time in which we all stand up at the beginning and shake hands and hug, and we encourage people to give one another hugs. Uh, we, we use the full serenity prayer, as Reinhold Niebuhr wrote it, every worship service. We have a story of hope every worship service in which someone stands up and tells a mini-story, their mini-story, uh, around seven to ten minutes. Um, how the recovery hope. story, you mean? Right. 
Yeah, okay. Um, how does hope become a part of their life? Um, and we close with the Lord's Prayer, holding hands, the Lord's Prayer. We have communion every service. Um, and that that has been a powerful part of our of our community. Uh, it's not one that I particularly had thought was going to be very successful, except that I found that so many of our people um, are former Roman Catholics, and so they celebrate having the Eucharist on a weekly basis. And it's been become a very powerful part of our whole congregation. So it's not it's not a typical church, but yet it has many of the same things that the typical church has. Right. When and do you give a talk every Sunday, a sermon? Right. Uh, and is do you orient it around a recovery topic or or not? Uh, well, there's always something about recovery in it. Uh, sometimes it might be a particular parable of Jesus, or sometimes it might be some Old Testament reading. There's there's almost well, not almost. There always is a piece of scripture. There's always some piece of recovery, and there's some kind of correlation thereof about how to live that in a practical, everyday living. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. we try to tie those two together, but we also have uh, have some things. Sometimes we'll we'll use some Sufi writing, or we'll use other types of writing, uh, Buddhist writing, uh, reading that might correlate that as well. Right. You say you have a lot of. Um groups in your church, and what kinds of programs and so forth do you have within the church? How how do people get supported there? Well, we have about, I don't know, 20 different 12-step meetings going on throughout the course of the week. We have, uh, in-house, we have something called Senior Recovery, which is a an outpatient recovery program, a treatment program that's run Monday through Friday here. Um, and we also have Minnesota Recovery Connection, which is a part of our our plant, as I mentioned what that was earlier. Mm-hmm. So we have all these 12-step meetings going on, and we have seniors around here all the time that are in treatment, and we also have all sorts of people being trained and uh, learning how to carry some of the messages out in the world through Minnesota Recovery Connection. Mm-hmm. Right. How does the word get out about the church it sounds like it grew pretty rapidly and stays the numbers stay up do you advertise or no it's all word of mouth we've never advertised Uh, what we will do sometimes is we will um, put together pamphlets or special communication pieces that can be carried to different meetings Um, because we have a fairly large congregation if we ask that congregation to go out to their home groups and to discuss what's happening, or if we have a speaker that comes in. Once a month we have a pretty major speaker from around the country that comes in and speaks. Uh, And so we'll tell people in our worship services to uh, put the word out that such and such is coming, or this is happening, or, um, you know, what might be coming up in the community. And that's what they do. They word of mouth it around all. And and, uh, so we have never had to do any sort of uh, advertising from the standpoint of, you know, like in newspapers and different things like that. But we'll have a speaker uh, each week, I mean each month, we'll have a major speaker here where we might have anywhere from two to 500 people here to come and listen to the speaker. Right. Yeah, so you really get the word out there 
Do other organizations sponsor the speakers and use your space? And no, we we yeah. sponsor it along with Minnesota Recovery Connection and Hazelden. Mm-hmm. Um, or we have other there's other people that we might team with to do different activities. We're always associated with in one shape or another with with doing a part of the sponsorship. Right. I'm curious if this idea has spread to other places. Are there any other recovery churches? You sound like you, you all few. were the first ones. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are a few. Um, there are there are a number of churches around the country who are uh, participating in having recovery worship services. Those are a number of different places to celebrate recovery and different things like that. But there aren't very many that have their primary and total focus being recovery. Um, and and there are a few around. We've helped start a few, uh, one up in Fargo-Moorhead. Uh, we've got one in New York that we've been helping. Uh, so there's been a number of other places around the country uh, that are standalone recovery worship services and recovery churches. Um, but, it, you know, it's not that easy to do that, uh, to have a whole community just of, of recovery people unless you have some way to get the word out amongst the people. Right. What are some of the challenges you've run into in doing this? Finances are always uh. a big challenge because people in recovery are are known for throwing a buck in the plate. And uh, a buck in the plate doesn't keep a church open. A buck in the plate barely rents space. And, you know, you, you probably used the same amount of giving percentage-wise 30 years ago, um, but it's notoriously the same. And so finances are always difficult. Um, another difficult thing is tremendous turnover with people in recovery. Um, you know, there's, a week doesn't go by that somebody doesn't relapse. A month doesn't go by that I don't bury somebody. Um, many people who are in treatment or come out of treatment shortly after are looking for a new life, and often it's not associated with where they are now. And so they move back to their own homes or their past lives, or or they create, step out and create new lives. And so a lot of that t- times uh, the people that we become participants with in ministry uh, aren't here again. So you might have somebody that's going to do a story of hope this particular Sunday, and all of a sudden they're gone. Um, so the turnover is quite large. And that brings uh, the difficulty, of course, of leadership, of trying to create some lay leadership. Uh, we are very short-staffed. They're basically two full-time staff persons and uh, two to part-time staff people. Uh, one of our tenants, one of our guidelines uh, for our church is we will always be understaffed. <laughs> That's a good one. We want the responsibility to be a part of the community itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So that makes it difficult to uh, trying to create new leadership. What are some of the ways that you uh, deal with those things? What it, what? It, how do you uh, navigate those? Well, I think we talk about it often about how. I mean, the reality is, this is your church. It's not my church as the pastor. It's not the staff's church. If something needs to get done, uh, this, the lady have to do it. We say that if you have a, an idea, that's great, but you better have some legs to it if you want to see it done. Um, and if it doesn't have legs and it doesn't have energy, we always think that, well, that probably isn't where God wants us to go. 
But if it does have legs and does have energy, uh, it can flourish with some of your leadership, some of the layperson's leadership. Um, a case in point was uh, one of the ladies had a granddaughter who, this was before we had any Sunday school, who wanted to have Sunday school, and she brought it to the leadership team and uh, asked if we could have Sunday school. And we said, the leadership team said, go for it. You know, you want to do it? So she surveyed a bunch of different different possibilities and and helped put together a pretty vibrant Sunday school program. So if something wants to get done, it's got to get done through the, the responsibility and the energy of the leadership of the church. Right. You mentioned a leadership team. I'm just curious, do you all use 12-step traditions, or how, what, how do you do decisions and that type of thing? Yeah, that is a good way. Good question. Uh, we have a, a council of elders, which is anywhere from 10 to 15 people in a given time. Um, they're never voted on. Um, if someone looks like they might be in good leadership, they're brought to prayer in the, in, the, uh, in the elders' meeting, and someone will go and talk to them about it and bring them in and ask them if they're interested to sit with our leadership team through a few meetings. They meet twice a month. And, uh, and see if it's a fit and ask God if that should be a part of what they want to do. And then it works. Um, we don't have any length of service but people come regularly, come and go, uh, kind of as God leads them. So it's a discernment, I think, that's uh, quite similar to uh, the AA community. Right. So that's you have that leadership team rather than a, a traditional board of trustees or something? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Really fascinating. Um, what Here's have been some reactions Here's, from the other clergy? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me throw out one other thing. Sure. As a pastor, you'd understand. Um, I don't have hardly any evening meetings. I go to my own 12-step meetings, but one of the things that they want me to do is make sure that I work my program. Mm-hmm. And so I go to two, sometimes four, uh, 12-step meetings a week. I work a couple of different programs. And uh, the best thing I can do is be fruitful and multiply in my recovery work myself by attending meetings, mm-hmm. recovery meetings. Right. Yeah, that's a really important point, and I believe that uh, 12-step programs do such an excellent job of, of that, sometimes I think better than church, than we do in church, about knowing that real spirituality comes from our own health and well-being, and that those that are in, in the pastor position or any of the leadership positions, that that's got to be number one, is your own your own well-being. Your own spiritual health. That's right. Yep, that's where, it, that's where it all springs from. Yep, that's incredible. That's wonderful. So your congregation, not only you're supportive of it, it sounds like they insist upon it, that you mm-hmm. make your own meetings. I can't imagine that I would last long if I didn't. Right. Because you, you probably just get too stressed out or something, huh? Well, that and, you know, you lose touch. You lose touch with what really is important. It's easy to get caught up in the, the typical business stuff of church yourself, especially as a leader, and to forget that the primary energy that you bring to the church is not your energy. It's what God has given to you. And if you're not mindful of that, if you don't take care of that, if you don't kind of hold that dear to your heart, you're going to lose it. And that's what happened to me before when I was... 
before okay. I was... We're going to have to take a break right now, but we're going to come right back to that. This is fascinating. Thank you, Joe. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back and keep talking about the Recovery Church Community of Hope with Reverend Dr. Joe Camp. We'll be right back. Do you sometimes feel as though the door to happiness has closed and there's no other door in sight? In her book, Ask Yourself This, Unity Minister Wendy Craig Purcell reminds us that Everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. What makes your spiritual path effective? What truly transforms your life? You can read all the books, hear all the speakers, and attend all the workshops. But what matters is putting spiritual principles to work in every decision you make. Join Rev. Ellen Debenport and co-host Laura Shepard on Absolute Living as they talk each week about how to practice principle day in and day out. Send them your questions to be answered on the air. The email is absoluteliving at unity.fm. Read Rev. Ellen's book called The Five Principles, available at unity.org. Then join Ellen and Laura each week right here on Unity FM to hear how to practice spiritual principles in your life on Absolute Living. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is the Recovery Church Community of Hope, and my guest is Reverend Dr. Joe Camp. Um, you, we'd be Glad to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. It's a good time to call or email us. And that phone number is 888-55-UNITY. And our email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. So if you've got a comment or a question for my guest, Joe Camp, let us know. And we'll also put your name in the drawing for our book today, which is a first step workbook. So, Joe, when you, when we were just before the break, you were telling us how important it is for the pastor of a church to uh, have good self care and good spiritual health, and and not lose their soul. 
And you were going to tell us about a time when you almost did. Well, my story is a story of someone who rose up through the ranks and uh, started off as an associate pastor and ended up as a senior pastor of our largest, or one of our largest churches. And uh, really basically was living my life for uh, the church. And everything about what I was doing uh, was the church. And the frustrations of that led me to uh, using alcohol and other drugs to try to escape from my own frustrations. And eventually I became so far away from myself I lost my soul. And worked more and worked more and worked more, but then used more and used more and used more until I became suicidal. And the day before I went into treatment, uh, 15 and a half years ago now, um, I was suicidal in the backyard with a shotgun. And Unbeknownst to me, someone came from out of the blue, or we would say there are no coincidences in God's time. But this person came and uh, was in AA and and, uh, helped me understand the differences of life, and I went to treatment. Um, And so once I was out of treatment, my life had to change. I realized I had to change everything about my life. And... So that process of change is still happening in my life today. And it happens through uh, different 12-step communities. It happens through this church. It happens through going to meetings. It happens through morning devotional time. And it happens through constantly asking inside, what do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to respond to this? Um, How do you want me to to answer these questions that Anna asks? And so uh, before we started here today, I spent about 15 minutes in just quiet time and settled in my office here and asked God for some direction about what we were going to talk about. And, uh, that's kind of the way I have to live my life, otherwise I get all caught up in all the ego of what happens in ministry. That's the paradox of ministry, isn't it? It can seem so tempting to have it all look like it's going the right way and have the big numbers and have the accolades and so forth. Um, and sometimes certainly that can be congruent with a, a, a genuine spirituality, but, but sometimes it's not. I've said often that uh, I think that the biggest threat to ministry is ministry. Hmm. And I think the biggest threat probably to our own spirituality is ministry. Uh, we can talk about something all day long and not really get it and not be a part of it. We talk about how important God is in our life and not really uh, come to grips with asking for that presence, uh, asking for the God of our understanding to be a part and walk with us. So I think that you know it's easy to talk the talk. It's, hard, it's harder in ministry to walk the talk than most people would think. Right. I appreciate your candor about that. It's it's really important that saying that matters to those of us in ministry, and it also matters to anybody who's a participant in the church. I think it helps to uh, understand more fully what spirituality is about and, and helps us to realize sometimes, too, one thing that happens, of course, as we well know, is that... Um, Probably for a lot of reasons, um, ministers get up on or are put up on pedestals. And people, that's such a barrier to people not understanding that God's in and with them as well. Mm 
I think another thing about it is that um, the most helpful thing that you can do to your pastor is to ask them how their prayer life is and to be able to pray for them. Many people just assume that the pastor has ample time to pray or has have ample time to relax or meditate or has ample time to sit and study or, or just play with their kids. They, they work under assumptions, I think, that, uh, that often I don't think are correct. Um, I know that I talk about my brokenness a lot in worship, especially now since I've been in recovery. Uh, before that, I kind of glossed over that brokenness. But here, in this type of ministry, it's surely been a, a, it still is a big part of, you know, my congregation, when I talk about losing my temper, or I talk about not having my act together, or I talk, they all kind of nod their heads. They understand, you know, that's what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. My brokenness helps me understand uh, what grace is about, rather than my strengths. Yep, good way to put it. Because if we don't have the the humility to experience and be candid about that brokenness, sometimes I think it bites us. And I don't have it all together. Uh, you know, that old book, I'm okay, you're okay? Uh, mm-hmm. I think for me, I'm not okay and you're not okay and that's okay. <laughs> that's a good way to God, put it. God helps us to be put together. Uh, but certainly we don't do it ourselves. You know, I I didn't I didn't make recovery. I didn't uh, become the person that I wanted to be. God certainly is helping me in that process. Uh, but when I start thinking that I've got it all together and I've done all these wonderful, miraculous things, man, I am really close to losing it. My mm-hmm. ego would just run crazy, and then I lose my soul again. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep, that's the paradox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think that people appreciate the most about being at the Recovery Church? Why does it matter to them? It's uh, one of the interesting things is we all know what the other people think. I mean, I know what my congregation is thinking. I know how they act because it's how I think and how I act, and we all are goofy. Uh, we all think goofy. Um, mm-hmm. As an illustration, I tell I tell people all the time: when you get angry, I can tell you exactly how you're going to think. You're going to try to run away uh, physically, emotionally, and chemically. And if you can't run away emotionally by being angry or putting down somebody and or yelling, then you're going to try to do it physically because you're going to run away and slam doors, or you're going to run away and try to have a physical cure. If you can't do that, you're going to use chemicals. Well, just that little simple thing. Like that, you look out when you say that in the congregation, and the congregation nods their heads. They've all been runners. You know, I think we say this often in the recovery community. You know, we were born with track shoes on. Uh, we want to run away from problems. That's how we've solved, or at least we think we've solved our issues uh, in our past. And in recovery, when we feel that we want to run away, it's time to stop, and it's time to look at what's going on. And that, that the importance of having supportive people around you or if nothing else help help you stop and help you to sit and, and to stay in what's happening and try to look at the issues that are going on in your life rather than running away because eventually so re- away you're going to lose it 
in the recovery church, then it sounds like vulnerability is is prized, not mm-hmm. you, you don't gloss over things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we, but the other thing is, we think alike. We know how mm-hmm. the other people think. That's the key, I think. And being surrounded by people who think like you do uh, is certainly it, it cuts through so many other divisions. We have black, white, yellow. We have Native American. We have uh, people from all over the world that are different parts of our community here. But the bottom line is recovery breaks through all of that. And there's a thinking pattern and a feeling pattern that's a part of the whole thing. And so it makes you, you sense a little differently the compassion and camaraderie uh, in this community that I haven't had in other communities before. Mm-hmm. There's a basis for finding that common humanity. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think well, it all comes from brokenness. I think it all mm-hmm. comes from brokenness and acknowledging our brokenness. And while that happens called sin regularly in our society, in each of our lives, part of the recovery church, in each of our lives, we know that intimately. We know what it means to be broken. But we also know what grace is intimately. Uh, and Easter Sunday is our Sunday. And, you know, I, I wear a tux on Easter <laughs> Sunday. And I wear throughout the week. I mean, normally on Sunday mornings I wear jeans and a T-shirt and, or shorts in the summer. But on Easter we all dress up because it's our Sunday. We understand what resurrection is all about. We have been dead to our old self. And... Uh, and we have a new life and a new experience of who God is in our life. I think really profoundly, uh, at least profoundly different in my life. What do you see as the future of the Recovery Church? I hope people stay alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we deal with a life and death issue. It's not just a, a little issue like, isn't that nice that somebody goes to church? I... I say all the time, you know, churches are filled around with people who like to be there. The recovery church is filled with people who have to be. If we want to live, we have to have spirituality. And it it presents kind of a unique opportunity for people to see life differently. As far as this community is concerned, this community will either come, will either stay or, or fold or go, depending upon how God wants it to happen. Recovery churches around the country will either come and go or stay or uh, change, depending upon how God wants that to happen. Um, We do what we can to try to keep it going, and if it folds, well, God has a different plan for something happens. If it flourishes and multiplies, well, that's God's work, too. So we'll just kind of keep plugging along and trying to do our best and work on our program and try to proclaim some kind of hope for a crazy, mixed-up world. Right. Sounds like you're making a, a very important, very powerful difference. And I know uh, I've had the opportunity to visit there on a Saturday, not on a Sunday. Uh, but I know that it's a place that's busy, that's filled with people, and who really appreciate uh, what's happening there and who uh, are genuinely feel a connection and grateful for the opportunity to be in a community that is accepting and helps them grow and build that relationship with a higher power and to build self-esteem. It's great. Right. right. Yeah. Joe, it's our time's up. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule. I know that it's busy, and I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate all the 
the words you've given us about uh, grace and spirituality and what it means to value your brokenness and for what you're doing there at the Recovery Church. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners, we're glad that you're here. And um, next week, our show is going to be Journey to the Mystic Heart. And my guest is Doe A. And uh, she's going to be talking about how her recovery has led her into very deeply into her spiritual self and how desperation has opened the door to her, to her natural mysticism. So join us next week for that. And know that you are in my prayers and in my thoughts. I see you blessed. I see you whole and well. God bless. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. What makes your spiritual path effective? What truly transforms your life? You can read all the books, hear all the speakers, and attend all the workshops. But what matters is putting spiritual principles to work in every decision you make. Join Rev. Ellen Debenport and co-host Laura Shepard on Absolute Living as they talk each week about how to practice principle day in and day out. Send them your questions to be answered on the air. The email is absoluteliving at unity.fm. Read Rev. Ellen's book called The Five Principles, available at unity.org. Then join Ellen and Laura each week right here on Unity FM to hear how to practice spiritual principles in your life on Absolute Living. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Rev. Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. 
And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>